Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Jake O'Connor, and you're listening to the Venture Mentality Podcast. Today joining us, we have the comedian, entrepreneur, coach, TEDx speaker, and best-selling author, Jason Goldberg, joining us. Jason is the author of the best-selling book, Prison Break, a story of overcoming your personal obstacles. He's a perfect example that anyone is capable of change. In his late 20s, Jason, in his late 20s, Jason was a 320-pound college student in love with cereal, specifically Lucky Charms. To say the least, he was heavy, but it wasn't just the weight holding him down. He was struggling mentally as well. However, despite the odds, he overcame this and lost 130 pounds and saw not only his body change, but his mentality as well. What's up, Jason? What's up, dude? So happy to be here. Thanks for that awesome introduction. And now I want some freaking cereal. So thanks for <laughs> screwing up my brain right before we start talking. And I'm sorry, but you know, Lucky Charms is one of the best cereals, I have to admit. <laughs> it really is. Have you ever had, do you ever have bubble tea? Do you know what bubble tea is? I don't. Oh my God, dude, where, where are you in the world? Uh, I'm in Illinois. Illinois. Okay. So I guarantee they have it in Illinois. So I was just in St. Charles earlier this year, uh, Chicago and St. Charles, uh, mm -hmm. go find bubble tea. It's like an Asian kind of like, it's a, it has a boba. Have you heard of boba? It's also called boba. Yeah. And it's tapioca balls or whatever. Anyways. So if you go and get the, the, the I think it's called taro T A R O flavor. Mm -hmm. It is, tastes like the milk from lucky charms. It will oh, that is it. dangerous. That is really dangerous. <laughs> All right. So I just to start this off, I know that there's a quote you really like, and it, it's don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. So I just kind of want you to break down like what this means to you. Yeah, it's, it's a Howard Thurman quote, man. It's like, it's my favorite. It's my number one favorite quote in the world. It, it's, it, it jockeys for position with another one that I actually may get tattooed on me. And the other quote is uh, nothing which life has to offer is worth the price of worry. Um, that's another one. But, but the first one that the whole thing about doing what lights you up, here's the thing, dude, is like when people know what lights them up and they're doing more of that, it doesn't occur to them to hurt other people. It doesn't occur to them to, to do bad things. It doesn't occur to lash out. It doesn't occur. And, and then the way this came to me is I remember I was doing a Facebook live in one of my groups and I was in Las Vegas and I, in the hotel room that I was in, in Vegas, I was there for a talk. And the hotel room that I was in, in Vegas overlooked where they had the mass shooting at the Mandalay Bay. Mm -hmm. So I jumped on Facebook Live and I was just saying, people who are lit up about their lives, they don't even think about killing a bunch of people. It's not like the thought comes up and they have to fight it away. Mm -hmm. They literally, it just doesn't occur to them because they're just on purpose and they're doing things to be of service to the world. So for me, I think if people can figure out what lights them up and they can be doing more of it, they set an example for other people that it's possible. And they also just stop doing crappy stuff in the world. They stop mm -hmm. trying to hurt people. So there's just so many benefits to living a more lit up life. Right. And to go along with that, you mentioned being on purpose. And I know that that's like living a more lit up life. But how, in your personal experience, how do you get there? Because I know that um, you don't necessarily like the looking for your passion thing. Right. So what, what is your kind of perspective on this? Like, how do you do it? I, for me, I mean, everybody knows that there's something that brings them some kind of joy. And, and this doesn't need to be, and this is the thing you're referencing about me not being into like finding your passion. When I, when I say that, when I say that I'm, I'm not about like finding your passion or whatever, it's because I think that's been too trumped up. It's been too blown up and it's become this like glamorized thing that you're meant to go on this life quest to find the big thing you're meant to be doing in this yeah. world. And it's, and it's typically a label. It's like, it's a noun. It's like, you know, a, a title or, or, or profession or whatever it is. And I think that doesn't serve 
um, because it puts too much pressure on us and mm -hmm. we don't work well mentally under pressure. Our minds actually were not meant to be put under pressure. Muscles grow when you put them under pressure. Your mind shrinks when it's being put under pressure. Mm -hmm. So, so it's the opposite thing. So when we, when we don't put so much pressure on ourselves to find the thing mm -hmm. that it, that's going to make us happy now and forever. And instead just say in this moment, what might bring me some joy in this moment? How might I serve somebody else in mm -hmm. this moment? What occurs to me to do that would make me feel happy or make me feel on purpose or make me feel like I'm making a contribution to the world or make me feel, you know, love or whatever it is you want to feel. Mm -hmm. That's a moment by moment thing. So, so the whole like living a lit up life is it's the same thing as like the difference between meditating and living meditatively. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so some people meditate and that's great. I meditate. I don't do it frequently. I don't do it. Um, I shouldn't say frequently. I don't do it uh, like religiously. I don't do it consistently. I don't have a meditation practice where every day I sit for 20 minutes or an hour or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's great for people that do. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. It's amazing. I love people that, that do that. My, my goal instead is to see if I can live meditatively. So mm -hmm. when I'm meditating, the goal of me meditating is to slow down my mind mm -hmm. and to hopefully separate who I am from the thoughts that are in my head, because I'm not my thoughts. I'm the thinker of my thoughts, right? If I can see yeah. my thoughts, I can't be my thoughts, right? I'm the thinker of thoughts. I'm not my thoughts. So if meditation is meant to slow down my mind, so I'm not caught up in my thinking, so I'm not feeling overwhelmed, and it's, and it's also there for me to disconnect uh, who I am from what I'm thinking, mm -hmm. why would I only want to do that 20 minutes a day? Mm -hmm. Or why would I only want to do that an hour a day? How can I find ways every single day, every single moment, as much as possible, it's not always going to happen, as much as possible, how can I live meditatively? Mm. And so that's what I try to do when I feel the sense of overwhelm. I slow down for a second. I take a deep breath. I see if I can allow my shoulders to relax. I, I get back in touch with, okay, I'm choosing to do all this. This is stuff that, that these stresses are things that I'm choosing to do in, in my world because I know how I feel when I'm able to accomplish them. Mm -hmm. I can do that on a moment by moment basis. I'm not worried about this huge thing I have to do now and forever. So same mm -hmm. thing happens with passion. Same thing happens with purpose. Same thing happens with joy. Same thing happens with being lit up. Instead of it being this massive thing that I need to figure out now and forever, which is way too much pressure for me at least, mm. how can I just be practicing that moment by moment? Man, I love that. That really resonates with me. The whole concept of like, that's too much pressure at one moment. Like, it's not like you need to know this exact moment, how you're going to live the rest of your life. And like, I used to think like, well, what do I want to do for a career for the rest of my life? And that question was really overwhelming to me, especially at my age. And, um, I just started thinking like, well, what do I enjoy doing? I don't have to do this. I don't have to commit to it for life, but like podcasting, I started podcasting. I enjoy talking to people and learning different people's stories and sharing it. And it's just something that I've enjoyed. No, I wouldn't mind doing it for the rest of my life. But I know if there comes a point where it's like, I'm not enjoying it anymore, that there's not all this pressure that I can switch things. And then for anyone listening, who's in my age range, which is a high school student, you also have to think about college. And a lot of kids put the pressure on college, college of which one do they want to go to because it seems like the college they pick is what is going to make or break their future. And it's important to go to a good college, but it's not going to determine who you are in the future. So I think just taking um, that outside perspective on it and not allowing the pressure to overwhelm you or even the pressure to be there, I think that can really help people. 
I, I totally agree. I love that. And I think that the college, I think the education system in general is, is kind of screwed up. And I don't, I don't disagree with people going to college at all. I, I went to undergrad, I did an MBA, like, so I went to graduate school. And, and the thing that I got most out of all that experience of being an undergrad and being in graduate school was, was much less about what I learned. It was about a couple of other things. It was number one, learning how to learn. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was like the meta learning, like how learning how to learn, because I'm going to learn the rest of my life. So that's a good chance, a really great opportunity to understand how you best learn. So as you go off in your career, your life, or you pivot and do other things, uh, you always know how to go back and learn things and pick things up and, and immerse yourself in them. That's mm-hmm. the one thing. And then what I got particularly out of grad school mm-hmm. was really understanding the power of community and connection. Mm-hmm. And, and the, and when people say like, Oh, you know, the school you went to for grad school, was it a good school? It's like rated the number one uh, business school in the Southeast for private schools. Is it a good school? And I say, well, Sure. I mean, I guess the classes were okay. I don't really use any of the stuff that I learned there so much in my, my world now, but mm-hmm. the people that I met there and the connections that I made and the relationships that I forged and the way that I was able to learn how it is to really be there and be of service to somebody else, whether they can provide you something or not, mm-hmm. that was so, so beneficial. So I love what you said about podcasting because what I'm hearing from that is that there's this underlying fundamental element of connection, of storytelling, of extracting wisdom, of, of growth and contribution on your own. Like there's all these things that are beneath that surface. And so if you decided tomorrow you never want to podcast again, mm-hmm. you have the little menu list of options. It says, okay, cool. I don't want to podcast. What mm-hmm. else can I do that provides me connection, wisdom, growth, contribution? You mm-hmm. have that like that understanding. So that's where it comes down to like, how do you find what lights you up or what brings you joy? Mm-hmm. It's not about the thing you're doing. It's about the feeling that that thing brings you right. and then finding creative ways to exercise that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked with Emil Steenveld. He was my first interview. And I think, yeah, you know, I Joel. yeah, I brought them on. And one of the things that Emil really talked about was uh, finding your values. And I think that really goes with what lights you up because your values are what is going to keep you grounded, but at the same time, it's what's going to excite you. So I think anyone who is looking to find what lights them up, they also need to consider what are their values and how can I stay in alignment with them? Totally. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's a couple, there's some cool ways you can look at this, right? So, so there's kind of the traditional way of looking at values, which is super, super beneficial and super valuable. Uh, well, I mean, the word is values, of course, it's value. <laughs> uh, but, but beyond that, another way that I tend to look at this and the way that I teach it, I have a, a program that I run called Playful Prosperity. And one of the modules is called how to put your motivation on speed dial. Mm-hmm. And putting your motivation on speed dial is a core values exercise, but really it's about something different. It's about your core state of being. Mm-hmm. right? Your core state of being, which is going to be different than, than, than a core value. And here's the reason that I, I feel like it was important to go from this angle. And this is, it's an angle I haven't really seen anybody else attack it from. And it, it just worked for me. And so I shared it with other people mm-hmm. was there is something, there is a, a core state of being for everybody on the planet where when they feel this thing, they show up at their best, mm-hmm. right? No matter what it is, they show up at their best. For some people, it's peace. For some people, it's joy. For some people, it's um, uh, groundedness. It can be whatever, right? For me, it's enthusiasm. Like mm-hmm. my word is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm comes from the Greek word entheos, which means literally the God within, mm-hmm. right? So when I am in a place of enthusiasm, it means I am tapped into the God within me and mm-hmm. I can do anything. The key to know about this though, because that's only one part of it, to know that I show up at my best when I'm enthusiastic. If I'm enthusiastic about doing something, there's no way you can stop me from doing it. Right. Challenge with that, the, the pitfall with that is when somebody says, okay, great, yep, I found my core state of being, it's enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. I'm only gonna do things that will bring me enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Well, 
that's one way to do it. But unfortunately, it may not be the most realistic thing because I run a business and I definitely will tell you there are plenty of parts of my business that do not make me feel enthusiastic when I sit down to do them. And so what I, I, I came to notice, and this is where the whole putting your motivation on speed dial thing comes from, is that when I can choose to come from a place of enthusiasm, mm-hmm. instead of requiring the thing that I'm doing to bring me enthusiasm, then I can literally do anything. Right. And so that, that's different for everybody, but that's a big shift. It's not requiring the thing you're doing. It's not a destination. Your core state of being is not a destination. It's, mm-hmm. it's your source. Right, like just like when you're putting in stuff in a GPS, you have your source and you have your destination. Your source, your home address, you are at home mm-hmm. in your core state of being. It's a place to come from, not a place to get to. Man, that's really deep. I like that. And another thing that I've noticed is that, like you said, with your business and in life, there's always the things that you don't want to do. Like we can't just do the things we want to. But I think it's um, important to have the things you don't want to do because it helps you appreciate the times when you do get to do what lights you up, what gets you in that state. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so today, like before, right before we had this, uh, this, this interview, I was putting together an agreement, a contract for a speaking gig that I just booked. That's going to be next month. And I hate putting together contracts, dude. It sucks. Like I just like, you, you got to make sure when you're, you know, cause obviously I use like my template. I got to make sure I've taken all the templated parts out and they don't have like some other company's name there. And, and I have to like put in what it's all about. And I have to write that description of the talk and all the legal stuff and all the things that I need for AV and logistics. And I just hate that. It doesn't feel creative. It feels crappy, mm-hmm. but I sit there and I tap into how good it's going to feel mm-hmm. to be on that stage in front of those five or 600 people, however many people are going to be at this talk. And, and how good it's going to feel to connect with them and to feel like I'm, I'm really contributing and, 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 and being of service and getting to have fun and being in my genius zone on stage, the thing I want to do, mm-hmm. having that mini why, like we always talk about having the big why. And so another thing I talk about in that same putting, motiv- putting your motivation on speed dial module is figuring out your mini why, mm-hmm. right? How does this little thing that I'm doing contribute to how I want to feel? Not on a huge scale, just how I want to feel in general. And so when I look at it that way, I go like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful I get to do this contract Mm -hmm. because that brings me one step closer to being on stage and being Mm -hmm. in my genius zone and being in my happy place. So Mm -hmm. that makes me enthusiastic. Sometimes it's music that gets me enthusiastic. Usually it's like gangster rap uh, or like really like up-tempo R&B, like soul music, like that gets me pumped up. And so I'll do whatever I need to do to get into a state of enthusiasm. And then I go do the thing that I have to do. Mm -hmm. We all have our triggers, the things that get us into that state. And that's, right. that, that's awesome. <laughs> what is it for you? I'm curious. What, what's, what gets you into that kind of state? Um, for me, it's really uh, listening to different podcasts. Whenever I can hear the things that people have done, the places they've come from, uh, the d- different challenges that they've not only faced but overcome, it kind of gets me into a place where it's like, okay, this homework I have tonight, this interview I have to get ready for, whatever it is, it's like not that compared to what they overcame, I can definitely do this. Yeah. Love that, dude. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So losing 130 pounds is no small feat. How did you do this? Can you kind of walk us through it like with both the physical and the mental aspect? Because I know that for people trying to gain or lose weight, a lot of it is mental. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way I did, I haven't eaten since April, 2014. So that, that's the way I've done it myself. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I struggled with weight my entire life. I was, uh, I was the chubby kid in, in kindergarten, uh, got up to 250 pounds and I was 15 years old, which I mean, you're in high school, you know, how kids can be really freaking cruel and mean and, and mm-hmm. really 
not accepting. Imagine being a 250 pound kid, you know, who's, who's kind of nerdy and, and, you know, you get picked on for that kind of stuff. So, so that was happening from an early age. And then I actually got up to 332 pounds in my late twenties when I was obviously an adult and in my corporate job and everything else. Mm. And, and I tried everything, man. I tried so many things growing up. They had documented from my doctor. I had the same family doctor from when I was 15 until probably I was 33 or 34. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he had documented all the ways that I had tried to lose weight and nothing seemed to work for me. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of that was conditioning. A lot of that was, you know, my mom, who I I love dearly, who is just a hustler, raised me as a single mother, only child, single mother. uh, And she worked her ass off. She still does today. And she had to do her best to provide for me, but it also meant she didn't really have a whole lot of time or really the ability to cook. Uh, So we did a lot of fast food, a lot of pizza, a lot of whatever. And there was also the emotional trigger of food is a soothing and celebration mechanism. Mm -hmm. So if you're bored, you eat something. If you're stressed, you eat something. Mm -hmm. If something amazing happened, you eat to celebrate. If something terrible happened, you eat to console yourself. Mm -hmm. And it, it actually got to a point where when I was still in my corporate job, when I was still in in IT consulting, is if I was driving to work in the morning and I knew that I had like a really crazy day ahead of me, Mm -hmm. it would mean like I had permission to eat extra disgusting stuff for breakfast. Like I would go through the McDonald's drive-through and get like two McGriddles and two hash browns instead Mm -hmm. of one McGriddle and one hash brown. Like Mm -hmm. it was such an interesting thing where food became my safe place. Mm -hmm. So so while, and from a strategic practical thing what i did was i i had weight loss surgery in may of 2011 mm-hmm. and that was and that was something i didn't like to talk about right away because a lot of people would be like oh you know you were too weak to do it on your own or it's a silver bullet or it's an easy way out and anybody who's actually had that surgery knows it's it's by no means an easy way out uh because that is a great tool like all the things we have in our lives it's a great tool but there's no easy way to make massive transformation mm-hmm. that tool helped me with the first 30 40 50 pounds to be fairly easy to get off the other 80 pounds, uh, that was all me changing my relationship with food, my relationship with exercise, my relationship with, uh, with, with all of that, with, with my body, with my mind and everything else. Mm-hmm. And so what I recognized was that even as I was losing the physical weight, it felt good. I'm not going to lie. Like it felt good to like, you know, have my clothes be looser, have to buy smaller size clothes, all that stuff. Mm-hmm but it didn't take away the other kinds of weight that I was carrying around. So I still had the mental weight. I still had the emotional weight, even though I was making well over six figures in my management consulting job, I still had financial weight worrying about like, well, what happens if I lose this job one day and I can't find another one that pays me that much. So I had all this weight that I was carrying around that was actually just as debilitating, if not more so than the physical weight. So that transformation had to happen hand in hand. I had to really understand uh, that my happiness was going to be an inside out job. And, and that didn't happen overnight either. I had, I had a lot of resistance to this, but what happened with me, and it, and it sounds like it's the same thing that, that you do is you love to extract wisdom. You love to look at the people that came before you to see what they did to see what kind of clues you can get. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed was that there were plenty of people out there, including even the, the woman I was married to at the time who had been through things trauma wise, mm-hmm. way worse than anything I had ever been through and yet seem to still have a pretty positive attitude. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm a pretty smart guy. Like, what do they know that I don't know, right? It Mm -hmm. it became this thing where I was like, there's gotta be some way to reverse engineer that. That was actually my first jump into personal growth, was just to reverse engineer what everybody else was doing. But even then it was like looking outside, like how do I change other people so that I get less upset? How do I change situations around me so I don't get triggered? And it wasn't until I really started diving into that and, and really steep, 
Chandler is who I credit with really helping me make this transformation. He's, he's been my coach for five years. He's a dear friend. We've created shows and programs and things together. I'm on, I speak at his events now and he's still my coach. He'll be my coach until one of us dies. Uh, <laughs> and still after that, but he's the one who really introduced me to the ability that I had to reinvent myself in any given moment. And that given whatever's happening in the world, those are just conditions of the game. And I decide what I want to do with those conditions. So, so to answer your question, super long story short, the way I did it was, yes, I had the surgery. Yes, I had to change my relationship to food. Yes, I had to eat better. Yes, I had to exercise. But more than anything, I had to realize that I was creating my experience of the world moment by moment, day by day. And there's nobody that's going to come and make that easier for me. That's nobody's going to come and save me. It's all on me. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Wow, that, that's great. I really hope that that resonates with more people that listen to this and that can help someone. Um, so to transition, can you tell us a little bit about your book, Prison Break, Vanquish the Victim, Own Your Obstacles, and Lead Your Life? It's a great book about overcoming your victim mentality. I was hoping you could kind of just go into it from your perspective. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, the book is basically, it's all built around one distinction. I, I love distinctions. It's, it's how I've learned best and it, it seems to be that's how people learn best. So I teach almost primarily in distinctions, almost exclusively in distinctions. And distinctions are just this versus that, up versus down, on versus off. It's, it's very easy to get it, right? Because sometimes I think personal growth is not just too heavy and too serious. People make it too complex and nobody wants to do complex things. We want easy things. Mm-hmm. So Prison Break is all about this distinction that in any given moment, You can either be a prisoner of circumstance or you can be a Mm self-leader. When you're a prisoner of circumstance, when I'm a prisoner of circumstance, I am at the whim of the economy. I am affected by who's in the White House. I am affected by the song on the radio that reminds me of my ex. Everything that I'm experiencing is based on an outside-in perspective. And so when I believe that that's the way the world works, that the outside events that are happening in my world affect my happiness or my sadness, then I'm a prisoner to those things. I'm essentially saying I have no control. And the only thing I could possibly do is to spend all of my time and energy trying to mold, modify, and manipulate every person and everything around me, which is freaking pointless and really exhausting. And it's what I did for about the first 30 years of my life. And I like to say I kind of sucked at life for the first 30 years, but I'm getting better. And so that's the prisoner perspective is, is that I don't have any power. I transfer my power. I give my power away to everybody and everything. Uh, and I'm just this like, you know, tree flailing in the wind, uh, hoping that I don't get knocked over by a storm, hoping and praying that things work out for me, uh, you know, sending positive vibes to myself constantly. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other side of this is a much more empowered way, I think, to approach life again, moment by moment. And that is the way of the self-leader. And the self-leader essentially says, again, like I said before, given the conditions of the game that I'm facing, what would I love to create? Or given what I'm feeling right now, what role am I playing in creating this experience of life? Or given how I want to feel and what I want to create are the thoughts that I'm attaching to, are the thoughts that I'm giving significance to, are the things that I'm focusing my attention on bringing me closer to or taking me further away from what it is that I want. And so it's really just a moment by moment Um, heightened level of consciousness that says, okay, I'm on this earth for a very short amount of time. I have a choice here to either be a reactor or to be a creator, Mm -hmm. right? I can take what's in front of me and, 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 and use it like improv, like fuel for improv, like somebody like Robin Williams or Jim Carrey would do where it's like, oh, cool, flat tire. Let's make something funny out of that. Or like, oh, somebody broke up with me. I'm sure there's a funny sketch in there. And really seeing that anything that we are given is fuel that we can use. And we can either use life 
or we can be used by life. And that is the distinction between a self-leader and a prisoner. It's not something you do now and forever. Nobody's born as a self-leader. Nobody's born as a prisoner. People read my book and they say, this is awesome. How can I be a self-leader 100% of the time? And I say, I have no idea. If you figure it out, let me know because I definitely still have prisoner moments. Hmm. The difference now is that when I have those prisoner moments where I'm beating myself up or I'm getting too stressed out or I'm taking things too seriously, I can take a step back and realize I'm doing that to me. Nobody else is doing it. I'm doing that to me. Whether I do anything with that once I have the awareness, that's up to me. But the first step is just recognizing, having that awareness that in any given moment, I have a choice on what my experience of life looks like. Wow, I love that distinction. That's, that's pretty deep. I'm a firm believer that life is all a matter of perspective and that just goes right along with it. Yeah. So um, for anyone who wants to learn more about you or wants to reach out, where can we find you online? Uh, so you can go, you can find me on Facebook if you search for Jason Goldberg uh, and you can go on Instagram at the Jason Goldberg. I couldn't get Jason Goldberg because it was taken. So it's the, like T-H-E, the Jason Goldberg. Uh, and you can go to that jasongoldberg.com as well. And I'll give you a special link. If people want to get a free copy of my book, Prison Break, I'll give you a link. They can get a free digital uh, audio or paperback copy if they're in the U.S. So I'll, I'll send you a link for that and you can share that with your people. Sounds great. I'll put that in the description. So we're almost out of time, but before we go, I've got one last question for you. Cool. But with that being said, a little bit of background. When you die, the only thing that matters is the difference that you made. So with that being said, what do you want your impact to be? How do you want to be remembered? Yeah, you know, it's, this is a very timely question for me. I don't know if you, if you've seen this, but one of my, one of my best friends passed away completely unexpectedly last week, a guy by the name of Sean Stevenson. Yeah. Thank you very much. And he made just an incredible impact in the world. Uh, He's a speaker coach and, and just uh, one of my dearest friends. And, uh, and so I've actually been thinking about this more and more. And and for me, it's, it's actually really clear. Um, My, my entire business plan is is one line long. I have a one line business plan. And my business plan is that I leave everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy than I found them. That's my only thing. I don't care how I do that. I don't care if it's through coaching or speaking or writing a book or holding a door open for somebody or having a conversation with a Starbucks barista or hanging out with friends. I don't care what it is. As long as I can leave everybody I meet with 5% more joy than I found them, I'm happy. And if you look at that as the aggregate over lifetime, if I can leave this earth and people say, you know what, anytime I was around Jason, I felt at least 5% more joyful, then I've done my job.